Hi, I'm Marissa from Renovate, a ministry at Christ Chapel for young adults in Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome to the first podcast of 2019. Today, Ben's talking about how the gospel renews self. It's an intro to who we are and a reminder of what we believe. Enjoy. Amen. Praise God. Yeah? Yes. Um, hey, good evening. Love, uh, I love this. I love that we are back. Uh, missed you guys. I did. I missed you guys. I'm excited. Uh, Josh and I, the next uh, three weeks, are going to kind of step into a, a little mini series on, um, on what it looks like to have our faith and what that looks like combined with the workplace that maybe God has, has put you or whatever it is that you do, whether you work or whether you are looking for work or whether you are in school uh, or whatever that is. And so kind of this faith and work um, uh, impact that, that we're called to make. And so that's kind of what we're doing. Um, I, uh, tonight's going to be fun. I, um, well, on Monday was my birthday. So thanks. Uh, thanks for the cards. Um, on my birthday, uh, we paid a guy. So Danielle and I are looking at buying a new house potentially. So we've found this house that we like. And so we're going through this whole thing of like, man, we might buy a house, which is really fun. Uh, so we paid on my birthday, a dude named Brian, uh, $570 to walk through this house that we're potentially going to buy and then tell us everything wrong with the house, right? Like that was his job. He's an inspector and we paid him 570 bucks, which I will never see again, uh, to walk through. And then he sent later that night, a 33 page document of everything that is wrong with this house, right? Like everything like, oh, this gutter is a little bit out of place here. And this tile's cracked here. And there's a dead spider on the floor here. And just kind of, you name it. He just thoroughly, I mean, the guy's good at his job, just inspected the house. So we knew everything that's wrong with it, which is awesome slash depressing that it's like, oh, cool, man. I paid that guy a bunch of money to tell him what's wrong with this house that, that we really love. Um, I, I think about that and I've thought about that a lot uh, every time I'm like, oh man, I wish I had that 570 bucks right now. Um, <laughs> but I think about what this ministry is and I think about what we want to do. And I think about even this little mini series for the next three weeks and, and what we hope to see God do. Um, what we want is we want God to renovate us, right? That, that's what this whole thing is, man. We, we believe that it is the God of the universe who desires a relationship with us, calls us into a relationship with him that is unlike anything else. And in that relationship, it's not just so that we feel better, it is this work of renovation that God is doing in us. And that's tricky because one of the ways that happens and one of the first steps of that is he starts to reveal this laundry list of things that are maybe broken or things that are rough about us or things that, that don't work right in our lives. And he doesn't do it because he's a mean God and, and he doesn't do it because, oh, these are all marks against us uh, that, that won't get us into heaven. He does it because he loves us. Uh, he, he reveals these things so that he might renovate and do this work of, of renovating and growing and maturing us and all of these incredible things, fancy word being sanctification that he is sanctifying us. Uh, and that's our hope and that is our prayer and our desire uh, to see God do that. Uh, the, this break that we've had uh, has been awesome and fun and, and restful. And some of you guys maybe got a couple of days off. Some of you guys got you know, a couple of weeks off, whatever that looked like during the holiday for you and however much vacation time you'd saved up or whatever your job looks like. Um, 
But I recognize too, and, and my heart is kind of heavy, honestly, coming back into the semester, just because I feel like I am reminded of just how much renovation this world needs and just how much brokenness, honestly, is there. And I know for some of you guys in your life, uh, there's just things in your life that you um, are hurting and, and things in your life that just don't seem to work, right? Like when you go to bed at night, there's something that just seems broken, seems disconnected, seems faulty in some way. And, uh, and, I, and I, our prayer as, a, as leaders and staff and as a church is, man, Lord, would you do this work? Would you show us those areas that need renewal? And so that's kind of where we're going tonight uh, in this sermon is it's gonna be kind of a, a big picture of uh, what that looks like, what that renewal looks like, uh, and then also kind of unpacking this idea. So tonight's sermon kind of has two different parts to it. So for those of you guys who are visual or, or note takers or things like that, we're gonna, we're gonna jump into Acts 16 and I'm gonna read this story and we're gonna unpack this story of Paul and this incredible stuff that happened and, and we're gonna kind of get to this big idea of, of what, this, uh, what our mission feels in the workplace, how appropriate is that mission field for us as Christians, those who are Christians in the, in the workplace. And then the second half of the sermon, we're going to talk about the gospel, um, or at least the last third of the sermon, we're going to talk about the gospel. And if you're new, just so you know, we're going to talk about the gospel all the time. Like if you have been around us, if you have heard us preach, we're going to talk about the gospel a lot because we are prone to forget it because I'm a 36-year-old pastor who is still learning the implications of what that looks like in my life as I study it and teach it and try to apply it in my life, because it is the foundation for everything we do and who we are and our identity. And so uh, just so you know, you're going to hear that a lot, and would we never grow tired of that? So that's what we got, kind of two parts. First part, Acts 16. This is good, guys. This is good. This story is ridiculous. Acts 16, true story. Here's what's happening. And if you don't have your Bible, we'll throw it up on the screen if that's easier or their Bibles underneath the, uh, the seats if you wanna do that. Here's what's happening. Paul and his buddy Silas are walking around in Philippi, this town, and they are, I mean, Paul was just hardcore missionary, right? Like he was traveling from city to city. He had these huge missionary journeys where he'd show up in a, in a city and he would just start proclaiming who Jesus was and teaching who Jesus was and, and just incredible things happened and they moved to a different city and he, just, he was getting shipwrecked and getting thrown in jail and getting beaten. He was this in, insane, radical, awesome missionary because his life had been transformed by Jesus. And so he's in Philippi and he and Silas get arrested and they get arrested because there's this like demon possessed girl. And he honestly, the text says he got annoyed with her because she was like following him around and he was annoyed. And so he like cast out demons and the people who owned the demon possessed girl were ticked because their sideshow was gone. Anyway, it, all of that doesn't matter. The point is he's in jail. Okay. So he's in jail, thrown into the Philippian jail, pick up in verse 25 this is, a, just catch how ridiculous, like picture yourself, like whenever you guys went to jail, right? Most of you, I would imagine by the looks of you have been to jail at some point, right? Like what was that like, right? Like what, you know, what is this? Here's his mindset while sitting in jail. Here was his mindset. Ready? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. That's, that's just awesome, He's just in jail and he's singing songs and hymns and praises to God. Like he's, he's just hosting church. Got thrown in jail and he's like, cool, I'm in, we're gonna do jail church now. And he's singing and worshiping and hymns. And I feel like everyone else is just jamming along. That's a picture I got. So they're just worshiping. Yeah, 
Okay, 26. This is going to take forever if I do this. 26. <laughs> Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Okay, so you see what's going on. They're in there worshiping Jesus and hanging out. An earthquake happens through Philippi. The foundation gets shifted. All of the jail cell doors swing open. The jailer is woken up. Oh man, there's an earthquake. Looks, all the doors of the jail are open. So he's screwed, right? And so he pulls out his sword to take his own life because he knows failure at his job would mean that, right? It would mean disgrace for his family. It would mean everything. And so he thinks, oh my goodness, he's lost hope. He just thinks this is the worst situation. He is about to take his own life, assuming everyone escaped. Look what happens in verse 28. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. I love this. So Paul and Silas are in jail. They're singing, having a good old time. Doors open. This guy thinks that's over. He's going to kill himself. And what are they doing? They're in there still. They're still there. They didn't run. They didn't flee. They didn't take this as like, oh man, we should get out of here. Like this is, they trusted God, were faithful. And, and he shows up and they preach the gospel to him. They tell him about Jesus and who Jesus is and his approach, right? This jailer's approach. Here he is, normal day at the office, right? Just a normal day at the office, taking a nap, probably played some Minesweeper, taking a nap, fell asleep, and then he thinks, oh man, everything's doomed. And he runs into this person at his workplace. He runs into these two prisoners who are probably just like any other prisoners from appearance sake, and they're different. There's something different about these guys. This day at work, this guy encounters somebody totally different. And what does it say? He runs into them and he was fearful and trembling before Paul and Silas, because he saw that something was different. They were set apart. There was something about these two people that didn't make sense, that he didn't understand. So it produced this fear of who are you? And he knew because of the way they lived their life, because of the hope that they had of not their own escape, but they were, they were following something way more powerful than the jail system. They were, they were following and obedient to something way more powerful than the Roman army, and he says, what must I do to be saved? He gets saved. And, and clearly he, he catches fire. He's like, you gotta come over to my house. You gotta tell my kids this. You gotta tell my wife this. His whole entire family, it's bad. You gotta stay and eat. We're gonna cook for you. His life gets changed. His life gets transformed because of this encounter. Because this jailer runs into these two prisoners who lived differently, who had a different perspective, who the gospel 
was something that had affected the way they lived, the way they escaped or chose not to. Their faith was in something he had never experienced. I love that. That's powerful. That, there's so much here, right? But one of the things I want to do is I want to read a little bit more and I, I want to make a, an observation, a kind of unique observation about, um, about this next section. So here's what happens in verse 36, 36 through 40. Here's what happens. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul. So the magistrate and the jailer are talking back and forth, man, get them out of here. And so the jailer goes and tells Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Oh, right, right. You see what he's doing? He's so hardcore. They're like, hey, hey man, those guys, there's something different about them. Get them out of here. Like the magistrates, get them out of there. And the jailer's like, hey guys, they're letting you free. And Paul says, nope, nope. They threw us in here. They can come down here and they can walk us out. They're not sneaking us out secretly because they're scared of us and our God. He, he would have dropped so many mics if they had mics back then. Okay. <laughs> the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. Uh -huh. They came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and, vid and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. <clears throat> Acts 16, so good. This story is so good, and we could spend, we could spend a three-week series just unpacking so much truth in this passage. Um, I'm not gonna do that. I, I, I want you to see how beautiful and powerful it is uh, in this first part of this narrative, uh, the power of people who really are following God, following God and the impact that makes to people around them. Right, the impact that this jailer, his life was forever changed because he ran into these two people in a jail cell, and it didn't make sense the way they, their hope in something bigger didn't make sense to this guy and it changed his eternity. It changed his family's eternity. I want you to see that. But I want you to see this other observation and, and this is just a little nuanced observation but I'm, I'm gonna make a, a point from it and I'm gonna support it with lots of other examples. Here's something that I was thinking about uh, this week in thinking about this topic of you know, how we apply faith in the workplace and what that looks like. Something interesting happened starting in verse 36. So the jailer's life gets changed, right? He falls in love with Jesus. His life has changed, right? He, he is clearly radically moved by the gospel so much that he takes him to this house and he feeds them and he tells his kids and they all get baptized. I mean, this is a, a massive life change. What's he doing the next morning? He's at work. He's, he's back at work. He's back at work communicating with the magistrates about the prisoners that are his job. And I think there's something so interesting and so profound because I think I, and sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, man, radical Christians all have to look and live like Paul. And what I mean by that is we gotta travel from place to place. Man, that it, the varsity Christianity means you're a missionary and you go from town to town or school to school or spot to spot or you spend your life traveling and sharing and that's the varsity level Christian and that's what radical change looks like and yet there are countless examples of people who have radical change in their life, 
real radical change in their life. And yet they stay. They stay there. The next morning after this, he doesn't say, man, I'm quitting. I'm going to stop working for this pagan government that I've been working for. And I'm going to now just go be a missionary with you. He's working and communicating with the magistrates and back to work, but back to work different and set apart and changed. And I love that. And I think that's a really important premise, honestly, to this whole series that we're going to be doing of our mission field, right? And by that, I mean the, the place in which we should be living radically to share Christ with others, right? The, the field at which we say, man, we are on mission with the gospel of. It doesn't always look like going to Belize or going to Africa or going to other parts of our city or traveling the world and it looks like where you are. It looks like where you are. And this isn't the only one. Lydia, who was also in, in Philippi, she lived in the city. She, was a, she sold clothing and, and was a, a merchant. She didn't leave that profession. She stayed in that profession and, and led a church within Philippi and ministered and made disciples of people while she was doing that. There was a centurion soldier in the New Testament who could save and he doesn't quit being a soldier. He continues to be a soldier, but now a soldier who radically loves and follows Jesus. There's a demon-possessed man uh, in, I think, Matthew chapter five. He's demon-possessed. Jesus comes up to the shore of uh, the garrisone and he's living in these caves and he's crazy just crazy demon-possessed guy, and everyone in the town knows that he's crazy, and they keep him in the caves, and they keep their kids away from him, and Jesus shows up, and he sends the demons away. He sends the demons away, and he heals this guy, and the town freaks out because they're like, who is this Jesus guy, right? Who is he? And one of the really interesting things about that miracle is when Jesus leaves the garrison, that area that, that he had come to share the good news with, when he leaves it, this guy says, let me go with you. Let me get in the boat with you and go with you. And Jesus says, no, 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 you stay here. You stay here and be a witness and be a testimony of who I am and what I've done. I think that's so important. I think it's so important to realize that where you, if you're in Christ, you have a mission field, right? If, if God has done a radical work in your life, and if you are in Christ, and that means God has done a radical work in your life, if you're really in Christ, then you have a mission field. And that mission field looks like, where are you? Where do you spend your time? I love that he's back at work. Your work is your mission field. Your school campus, if you're a student. Your neighborhood. The places that God has you. Paul, some people are called to go and be obedient, to go and travel and make disciples. And yet the majority of people are called to stay and be radical missionaries where they are. Um, I, I love that. Uh, this series is going to be about how you spend your life, right? How are you spending your life in the places that you're doing life? Um, what God has made and given you to do, he has done for a reason. He is a strategic God who whatever it is that you're doing in your life, he has done that for a reason. Uh, so often we think of the pie chart, right? We think of the pie chart of how we spend our time in our life and uh, we think of all these different segments of it and we think of, you know, we've got, maybe we've got work as this huge piece of pie and we've got family and we've got friendships as the, and we've got maybe hobbies as this piece of pie and we've got, you know, uh, downtime and we've got Netflix and we've got, and then we've got faith. You know, our faith is like one of the slivers of the piece of pie. And we almost, we fall in this trap of thinking, well, I need to expand that, that piece of pie, right? And, and what he's saying here is, no, 
If you're in Christ, you are his. Every area of your life is now his. Your life is to be lived out in those areas to bring God glory. That's what we sign up for. That's what we sign up for. And so if you're a Christian, 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. Romans 6.18, you have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. You've been set free from sin, but yes, we have then become slaves to God's righteousness and holiness. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Our life isn't our own. Romans 14.8, if we live, we live to the Lord. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. And I think this concept that we're gonna be camping out on and getting more specific in the next couple of weeks is so important for us to wrap our hands around and say, okay, I've gotta start seeing the other areas of my life as a mission field. If I am in Christ, then I have to start seeing it differently. He wants it all. He wants all of you. He wants to be glorified in all aspects. He wants to use your life for his glory. So your mission field is wherever you are. God's plan and design is to send some, but most stay and proclaim. My grandparents were missionaries in Mexico, right? Um, which was awesome. So I got to kind of see that model. And my parents were missionaries in Russia. And now my dad is in, does stuff with Greece and of Muslims who are fleeing um, ISIS and, and they're refugees in Greece. But let me tell you about my grandmother-in-law, right? My grandmother-in-law worked and owned uh, an art store in downtown Garland. Garland? Yeah? Nope. Yeah. Okay, got one. Yes. <laughs> right? Like she owned a, a, an art store in Garland and she radically loved Jesus. And she saw her art store. Man, you didn't go to her art store without hearing about Jesus, without seeing paintings of Jesus, without getting talked to. She spends, she spends her time like making her own little Bible story tracks and handing them out to people and doing Bible studies. And I mean, her life wherever she's at, it is her mission field. It's her mission field. I know people, I know people in this room who, um, man, they've turned their workplace into a place to man, have a Bible study. There's a group of men who meet together at their office every Tuesday morning and just open up God's word and invite everyone else to come. Not so people can think, oh, wow, those are really moral Christians, but because something's happened in their life, something has changed in their life. They found a hope and a purpose and a presence with God that's, that's changed things. That it wouldn't make sense to show up to work early and miss out on sleep and maybe get behind and work for this. But there's something different and there's something set apart, man. I know college students who are using their four to five years in college as a mission field, as a place to do ministry to make an impact on their campus for Jesus Christ because they see their life, their work, wherever they are is their mission field. There is no, there is no varsity and non-varsity in the Christian life. There is obedient and disobedient. There's not a varsity Christian who goes and lives his life on mission and then a non-varsity that's just kind of, oh, well, I'm just gonna come. There is Christians who are obedient, who are living their life on mission wherever they are. And then there's, I love you. I love you guys. But if you are not living your life on mission, if Christianity has become a sliver of, your, of the pie in your life and that's all it is, I love you. I love that you're here. Take this as loving inspection. Loving inspection. You're missing the call. 
You're missing, you are living disobediently to what God has called you, to the fullness of what he wants for your life, for his glory, and in glorifying him more, I promise you will be more satisfied because that's what you were designed to do. All of the other things are just chasing after things that are temporal, but to bring God glory is what we were designed to do. There is obedient and disobedient. God desires and promises to use you he, he desires to use you and he promises that he will use you. And so that's where we're going uh, in this series. But I, I wanna change gears and the last 10 minutes I got, I wanna, I wanna talk about um, how do we do that um, and, and what the foundation that we jump off from that place to say, great, I hear you, I'm sold. Hopefully the word of God is clear. We're ca- we're, we are not our own, we are his I need to be living that way, but what is the foundation from which that mission takes off? And and here's where it happens. Um, The fear is that we're going to do that mission in and of ourselves. That we're gonna build the foundation for us to go be effective missionaries in our workplace and it's gonna be in our own strength, in our own goodness that we are trying to do that. Um, We, church, me, I reek of hypocrisy. I do. I don't want to. I'm not proud of it. It's not something I'm okay with, but I worship a perfect and holy God. I want to point people to a perfect and holy God, and yet I am not perfect and holy, and there's a lot of hypocrisy in me, and there's a lot of hypocrisy I can't even see yet, but I know I will eventually see it. There is hypocrisy in us, and that is a turnoff to the world around us. It's a turnoff to the world around us. It says, there's nothing different about you. You're not set apart. Yeah, you have a Bible study, but your life doesn't look any different because we're trying to do it in our own goodness, our own flesh, our own just self-discipline to be good enough. Or we've rehearsed the right answers. We know the right speeches to make. And so we use our words to talk about Jesus and our lifestyle does not match that because we're trying to do it in in our flesh. And so as we talk about this call to, yes, go and live your life on mission, let us start with this idea that it has got to come from a place of personal renewal. Our lives have to be personally renewed. The inspection in our life has to be personally renewed in order to do that. Your personal renewal must be the foundation of your personal ministry. It has to. Um, In discipleship, we can't make what we are not. Right, so if I'm, if I'm trying to raise my son to be the greatest athlete of all time, I know you're looking at me and you're thinking, you probably are one of the, no, I'm not, believe it or not, I'm not one of the greatest athletes of all time, right? Like, I, I can't, <laughs> I can't, thank you for laughing at that. I can't, right, we can't make what we are not, right? Like, if I wanted him to be a great athlete, I would have to go hire people who are better at sports than me, <clears throat> Right? We can't make what we are not as disciples of Jesus. So if we are not being changed by Jesus, if Jesus is not affecting our life, then we're not going to be a witness of that. We're not going to. I mean, what we are promoting. You know why I never promote and talk uh, and, and recommend Long John Silver's for people to eat there? Because Long John Silver's sucks. (laughs) And if you work at Long John Silver's, I apologize. And I will see you afterwards and I will apologize because I'm sure it's a fine place to work at. But it, the food there sucks, right? 
So I don't talk about Long John Silver's as a, hey guys, let's go to Long John Silver's today, right? Because I'm a nice person and I'm not gonna do that to people, <clears throat> right? But what I do talk about, what I do talk about are restaurants that are awesome and delicious and great and yummy and fun and have good atmosphere and aren't covered in disease, right? That's what I talk about. <clears throat> we have gotta live in a way because what we are offering the world doesn't suck, what does Jesus offer us? What are, what are, we're these missionaries. What are we offering the world? What is it that we are on mission to convince the world about? Freedom, living a life of freedom. Freedom from, freedom from debilitating depression and loneliness. Freedom from struggles that seem to constantly plague us. That's what Jesus offers. He offers freedom. He offers life and life abundantly here in this life for me to be able to live a life of abundance, to live a life of joy, right? To have the presence of God in my daily life. Man, I get the presence of God. I get to stand here and approach the God of the universe in worship I get to meet with him in the mornings. I get to go to bed talking to the God of the universe who meets me in those places. And it's not always emotionally flowery and fluttery and it feels so sweet, but I know he is there. And there are seasons where he draws so close to me and other seasons where he asks me to trust him through hard times and through droughts. And I get the presence of God. That's what we get to offer. That's what we're putting on display in the mission fields of our life. But it's got to come from a genuine place in us. It's gotta come from our lives being renewed. How do we do that? Um, tonight is not about a specific topic or tactic or perspective of range of impact. I wanna just talk about how personal renewal happens to end our time. Um, because what we are offering is Jesus. To the world around us, that's what we're offering. So we've gotta make sure we have him in our are continuing to walk with him. If he is not most in your life and transforming, then we don't have as much to offer. So here's what we need to know. Three things. Three things, and then we are gonna get back to worshiping through music and responding to this and asking the Lord to do what only he can do with this truth. Uh, we have got to know you are not good enough. Right? You gotta know you're not good enough. So the foundation for how do we get this personal renewal, how do we really have this personal renewal starts with this really basic and yet very hard concept for me as a prideful person to accept, and that is the idea that I am not good enough. Um, we are bombarded in a culture that specifically right now is telling everyone, hey, you are enough, right? And that your worthiness is an entitlement. You are, you are just worthy and enough, Right? We were bombarded by that very encouraging sentiment. I would say biblically, though, our worthiness, your worthiness is not an entitlement. It is a gift from God that we get to humbly receive. And we'll talk about that here in a second. That yes, there's worthiness. Yes, there's enoughness. But it doesn't come from just the fact that, yeah, I'm just good enough. I'm just a good enough person. Yeah, I need to just say these positive things. Positive things don't matter if they're not true. What we believe is what is true. What is true, and this says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is perfect, no, not one. Um, and yet at the same time, there is with this idea of knowing that I am not enough, knowing that I can't do this on my own, knowing that I'm not just gonna be religious enough to, to accomplish the task at hand. There is freedom in that. There's so much freedom in that. Um, quick story. When I was dating Danielle, 
um, we've been dating for a few months and we were in that season where I am really just trying to show her that I'm good enough. Because my wife, those of you who know her, she's incredible, right? She's incredible. She's out of my league. And so when I'm, when I'm first pursuing her, I've got to like put my A game on. Like I am, like I'm taking her to like the nice places like Chili's and Applebee's and like... <laughs> and skipping the Taco Bells. I, I never took her to Long John Silver's. Like we were going straight to like high class Applebee's and we'll even get an appetizer off of that, right? <clears throat> um, right, and so I was, I was wearing shirts that were clean almost every day. I was brushing my teeth almost every day. Just like putting your best foot forward, right? <clears throat> I was playing ultimate Frisbee because I'm a gangly kid from the suburbs and that's what we do. So I'm playing ultimate Frisbee. And she's there and we had this whole group of friends that would all play and it was kind of a part of just what we did hanging out back then. And, uh, and so we're playing ultimate Frisbee and she's like on a picnic blanket with some other girlfriends and they're all talking and I don't know what they're doing, being pretty. And, and <laughs> I remember I was playing defense, true story. I'm playing defense, I'm covering a guy who happens to be her ex-boyfriend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know, I know. <laughs> I'm with you. Right? So I'm covering Zach, right? And his beautiful blonde hair, right? And his eyes I could just stare at all day. <clears throat> and he's tall. And I'm covering him and I'm playing, playing defense on this guy. And, uh, and I remember I was covering him. He just took off, right? It was going to be a long bomb and he took off. And so I'm just trying to, trying to keep up with him and stay pace to pace. And I remember, you know, and, and Danielle is sitting on a picnic blanket kind of near the end zone that we're running towards. And he's just a full sprint. Like this is a Hail Mary toss for the win. I don't actually know if it's for the win, but it sounds more dramatic that way. For the win of the game, somebody just bombs, we call it a disc, uh, some bombs the disc, right? And it's flying through the air. And I'm like, and I remember in my head thinking, Danielle's watching, right? This is it. This is the, the old versus the new. This is, this is my fate, right? Like my unborn children need me to stop this disc. <clears throat> and so I'm just chasing, trying to step and he's got to step on me, right? And I remember just laying out, trying to block this thing. And he just reaches out through my grasp, grabs that disc, I face down, plant, slide through the grass. He like rolls into the end zone and up with the disc for the win. His blonde hair flows backwards. <laughs> An eagle soars behind him right at the right moment. <clears throat> and she's right there in that end zone, sees the whole thing. We're the only two people just streaking across. And I just got smoked, right? I got smoked. I'm like pulling my face up from the grass. And I, I just remember thinking like, uh, and we rode together. We, Danielle and I rode together. I remember getting in the car and she was, <laughs> she, she was so sweet because I remember kind of looking over and she was like, oh, she like, she like pretend like she wasn't paying attention. <clears throat> here's why I tell that story. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, here's why I tell that story. <clears throat> um, th there was this season where like, man, I want to be enough, right? Like I want to win. I want to show her that like I'm good enough and I'm worthy and all of these things. And you know, one of the most freeing things ever, knowing that I am not good enough for my wife and she loves me, Right? Like she loves me and that gives me so much freedom. I've gained a lot of weight because of that fact, right? <laughs> my hygiene has really gone hill, downhill because of that fact. Because like I am not trying to earn her love, right? And it's this incredible thing and it is this incredibly freeing thing, people, to know you are not enough. You are not enough, and that's okay. And to be able to approach God with humility. But then second, in the truth that you are not enough, 
to balance that, to secure yourself, because that would be super depressing if it wasn't for this truth that understanding the current and constantly flowing grace found in Jesus. That's what we do. If we want to have this mission opportunity and we want, we've got to have a renewal of self. The gospel has to renew you. You've got to understand you're not enough and you've got to understand that there is a current right now and in a constantly flowing grace of Jesus that is available. There's grace that this idea of me not being enough isn't paralyzing. It's freeing because I get to experience the grace of Jesus on a, on a daily basis because he is enough. Listen to me. I, I don't know what you've done in your life, right? Like, I don't know when you think of when you think of the sin, right? When you think of those areas in your house that need some major renovation, right? When you think of the aspects in your life that if people knew in this room, the thoughts you had, the things that you've done, the things that you're doing, the things that you are chasing after that are, are not of God, that you know there's conviction in your heart. You know there is sin there. And when you think about those things, I don't know what those are for you but I know the grace of God is bigger than them. Whatever you have done in your life, do you believe that? Whatever you've done in your life, the grace of God is big enough for that. Let me say something else too. Whatever has been done to you, the grace of God is big enough. Right? Maybe you're carrying around shame. Maybe you're carrying around shame of something that was done to you. And you think, yeah, man, my future husband's never gonna understand this. I'm never going to be whole. I'm never going, my future wife won't get this. The mistakes that have been done to you, the sin that has been done to you, the sin that you have done, understanding the place of renewal for you has to come from this place of the understanding that there is currently this consistently flowing grace of Jesus that is available to you. Isaiah 1.18, it's so beautiful. Memorize it. Come now let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be made like wool. God, that's beautiful. Do you understand it? And then lastly, lastly, it is not enough to understand it. It's not enough to just understand it. My last exhortation to you is that you would accept that grace on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. Now, I think one of the most dangerous things for the majority of this room are people that hear this part of the sermon, right? This right turn into the gospel for the last 12 minutes of this talk, and they think, yeah, we're not enough, and the grace of God. And there is an internal, in, in our souls, head nodding of, yep, this is the gospel, I, I know this. And we understand it, but we are not walking in it, grace day by day, moment by moment. We're not walking in this grace of God. We haven't really accepted, we, maybe we've done this one time, or maybe we have these emotional experiences every once in a while, but it becomes white noise. And we talk about it all the time, and we talk about it all the time, because Jesus and his word talks about it all the time, because we know we are prone to forget and prone to wander from the truth that we are not enough, God's grace is enough, so let us walk in that. And I know walk in the grace of God is this really churchy phrase that we say, right? Like, oh, are you walking in the grace of God? That just sounds so churchy, right? I don't love that but I don't know how else to articulate it because I think one of the traps we fall into 
is we think it's just a decision we made one time, a prayer we prayed, as opposed to something that we are constantly taking steps in and growing in. There is freedom there. There is joy there. There is the spirit of God there. And so people, I love you. I don't even know most of you. And yet the spirit of God that is in me loves you because God desires to know you more. He desires more of you. He desires to do this work of renovation. He desires to put you to work for his glory. He desires for you to live radically on mission. And we're gonna talk about that in the next couple of weeks, but we cannot do that from ourselves. We have to do that from a place of we are being renewed. We have been made white as snow, even though we didn't deserve it. And we are constantly as a community reminding ourselves and walking in that truth. I love you. Respond to that. Respond to that through worship. Respond to that through the way you live. Confess sin. Walk in openness. There's infinite number of applications for that. And I'm not going to unload all of them. I'm going to ask that tonight you would ask the Lord, what does it look like? How might this look? How might I live in your grace moment to moment more? And ask, pray this dangerous prayer of Holy Spirit, show me. And maybe you're here and you've never done that. You've never stepped into that relationship in the first place. Praise God you're here. I think you're here for a reason. I don't think it was a coincidence. I think God wants to radically change your life in some incredible ways and give you a life that's abundant by entering into a relationship. And so, man, pray with us. Come and talk to us. But stop trying to do it on your own and say, Jesus, if you are real, then meet me in this place. Change me. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So ask him to do that and ask him to show you what would you have me do with this truth tonight? Let me pray for you. Father, we're so grateful for you. You love us so well. You love us so perfectly. Thank you. Thank you for how you love us, God. Thank you that you don't hold our sins against us. Thank you that we don't have to be good enough. We just need to accept the grace that comes in the personal work of Jesus Christ. That 2,000 years ago, your son hung and died on a cross for us and he lived this perfect and righteous life, but he didn't stay dead. And the truth, that historic event that happened 2,000 years ago has impacted everything for us today. God, would we accept your grace? Not just once, but would you show us how to walk deeper in that? Be people who are walking in depth of how you love us. And that yes, we would live on mission, but it would only come from a place of true renewal in our own life. That's the only thing we have to offer to a, a lost and hurting world around us is you. So give us more of you for your glory in the name of Jesus, amen. What a great reminder of who God designed us to be. He's called us to be more than cultural Christians. Remember, you cannot go too far. Do you really believe that hope? Here at Renovate, we are a family that is far from perfect. But with God, we are never incomplete and we're never lacking in His holy perfection. It's not about what you've done or haven't done, but what Jesus did. You don't have to fit any societal norm. Just come and be yourself. If you're in Texas near Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you in person. Renovate is on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and we serve free dinner for those who show up 45 minutes early to hang out with us. You can find us online at renovateftw.org or follow us on social media at renovateftw. 
And if you can make it out, I'd love to meet you.